Chris Moraz, and welcome to the Oklahoma Business Show, where we speak with business owners and leaders about their struggles, successes, and things they've learned along the way. I'm here with Tim Preby, owner and pretty cool boss man. That's the official title of TNS Marketing, a full digital service marketing firm based in Oklahoma City. Obviously, not limited to Oklahoma City, right. but you are currently based in. Oklahoma City or Edmond right now? Oklahoma City right Oklahoma City? now. Yeah. Perfect. So, um, you know, Tim, why don't you start us off and give us a better bio about yourself than okay. what I could do? <laughs> well, uh, sure. So super brief about myself. I grew up a nerd, uh, still am. Uh, big Star Trek nerd into computers when most people were not into computers. Uh, my parents made me go through a typing book in middle school. This was the mid to late 80s. So there were other kids with Apple twos and that sort of thing, but it was mostly if our friends were dad, if our dads were friends, uh, they would have a computer. If we were friends from school or something else, they wouldn't tend to have a computer. So not, not a lot. Uh, you and I are roughly the same age. So, uh, probably not dissimilar. My dad was an electrical engineer. He was a big Star Trek fan and other sci-fi. So instilled that in me, but I went to school thinking I was going to be a preacher and then ended up thinking, switching halfway through to computer science, thought I was going to be a programmer. Uh, it turns out I'm too much of a people person to sit there in a basement and program, which was my, uh, actually my second job out of school. I was literally in a basement programming the whole time and figured out I hated that. Uh, I started my business actually before I graduated. I had a side project doing an e-commerce website. I bought a bunch of comic books off a bookstore that was going out of business, or I think it was going to stop selling comics is what the deal was in Edmond. And made this e-commerce store, had to figure out HTML, that sort of thing, content creation. There was no uh, content management system, CMS systems back then. I was hard coding and had to figure out the file organization I wanted and all that jazz and uh, built that side up. That's what got me interested in it. Then I went back to school, took a year off of school, worked at AOL, actually. So in between the transition, uh, out at, if you're familiar with Oklahoma City area, the Shepherd Mall. Or I Shepherd am, so I don't, I'm going to interrupt you. I don't know yeah. that I, I don't know that I was aware you worked at AOL. Yep. I was an AOL employee. We, well, we've talked about this before. Yes, yes. Because I remember you were, but I remember we tried to see if we coincided and we didn't. Okay. Well, but, never mind. Uh, uh, yeah, that's okay. You forgot. Uh, I remembered in a weird turn of events. <laughs> So I worked at AOL for a year on tech support, which was a great educational experience that I would never want to do again. This is why I value people like you, Chris. I went back to school thinking I was a programmer. But when I went back, I remember I learned just enough in programming one to then, you know, continue my coursework, obviously. But I also took a tangent off into my own side projects, started learning different programming languages, e-commerce. I ended up becoming very interested. I was doing content marketing on that website back then with little, you know, action figure based comics and superhero stuff and that sort of thing. Articles. I was uh, pulling in articles from other people. And uh, but but that kind of started me interested in the web development uh, and the marketing side of things. It was interesting because I didn't end up doing content marketing for my agency for years. But I had done it on that uh, in that business. And I didn't even talk about this, but a uh, uh, Star Trek magazine I ran in high school. You and I may have talked about that before. But uh, so I did content in all of those areas and then eventually decided through uh, spending some time programming in a basement that that's not what I wanted to do. And I went full time with 
uh, TNDS, uh, oh man, 2006, seven, something like that. I started the company in three and then it was like six, seven, eight, somewhere on there. And I went full time at it and, uh, started out website developing and ended up going into content marketing, social media, SEO, online video, you know, branching into a bunch of different areas, marketing automation. Now it's kind of all a blur over the years, but you know, so you mentioned that you were doing some content marketing early on. Did you call it content marketing? No. Okay. So, no. so what would you call it back then? I mean, I was just trying to get traffic to the website. So people would buy this surplus of comic books I had purchased. And eventually I started buying uh, stuff off eBay and reselling it. But again, kind of comic book nerd related stuff. Um, but no, I would not. I, no, we didn't. We didn't. There, there was no name for it. No. So was that something you just thought, hey, I'm going to write articles about these comics? Well, or so what was some of that content? goal was always to write. In fact, I remember in high school specifically when I would get an issue of the magazine together and I wrote almost nothing in it. I was like, this is great. This is fantastic. How can I do way more work so that I don't have to do any actual work? And so I'd put all sorts of effort into getting other people writing and coordinating around a theme and all that kind of thing. And then it carried over into the website. So I had multiple columnists. I had people contributing um, pictures of, we, we would do what we called back then customizing action figures. So it's like you sculpt on it, paint it, that sort of thing. And so I would get other people to shoot pictures of their figures and put it on my site to get more. And I wasn't even worried about SEO at that point, you know, so um, which images don't have the same SEO power that articles do, but they were visually very appealing. And so I'd get people to do that. I was running, I remember I would do it myself sometimes and run, uh, I had a camcorder running into a uh, video in card on my PC. So before digital cameras were a thing. So it was, uh, but no, it, the goal was just to get traffic to the website uh, however I could. And so especially if I got other people writing things, you know, now guest posting has sort of come and gone, but I was having people guest post, you know, back in the early 2000s, uh, write these articles so that somewhat so that they would share the links and get people to my website. So what I'm hearing is that you, Tim Preby, invented content marketing. Essentially, That's yes. what I, yeah. 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 Well, I'm going to put a store next to that one. That's pretty <laughs> good. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. We talk about from web developing to digital marketing. Was there a time where a website was considered the digital marketing and now things have been added into it? Or is it just recognizing that there are more aspects that you could offer to your clients to help their profile? Can, how did that come, come to be? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. So from an industry standpoint, I think around the time, so when I launched TNS in 2003, you could do email marketing, but the capabilities weren't really there that are there today. And you had a website and of course the capabilities weren't there that are there today on the website either. I mean, that's when I started, we were hand coding sites in, uh, what did I use? I can't remember what I used to use now, but a text, you know, text center. And some people still like that. And I still dip into that occasionally uh, because I'm still a nerd, <laughs> but um, from an industry standpoint, yeah, in 2003, that's all it was essentially was websites. And so we started out at, and considered ourselves. I also didn't, I had this weird head trash and preconceptions about what an agency meant and, and had imposter syndrome. And which I, I mean, I think I still have some of that. I think but, uh, every business owner has that. But I, I didn't consider ourselves an agency. So it wasn't until maybe five, six, seven years ago that I started calling us an agency. So I just thought, no, we're a small company. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, we were a website web design company. 
And I remember the first real big service I added on, I went to actually uh, one of the local chambers that had an SEO thing, uh, educational event. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about SEO. And the I'd love to start offering it or see what I, you know, uh, need to learn, get some basics. And this was for the general public, right? It wasn't for, you know, an uh, expert. It wasn't for a web design agency, but I went anyway. And at the end of the meeting, I said, well, I can, I already knew all that. I, just, I didn't realize how much I knew. And so almost immediately started offering that as a service. So that came along pretty quickly from an SEO standpoint. Of course, content SEO is not something that really existed back then, but certainly all the technical things that existed then I didn't realize I knew about. So you say you didn't know about it. Yep. Was this was this something that you realized you had learned elsewhere or was it just what you felt to be common about how to write a website? I had learned it, uh, well, some of both. So some of it I had learned along the way. Some of it, and in fact, this carries over to today. Some of it, I just thought, well, that's just best practice when building a website. Right, but, who t- but how did you know it was best practice? Uh, over time, I had done experimentation, right? Building a lot of websites. I, I was and am constantly in learning mode. I mean, I don't think you could be in my industry. I think anyone should be in constant learning mode. I don't think you could survive in my industry without being in constant learning mode. But I, it's, I had just picked it up along the way and also developed strong opinions of my own. And again, I hadn't realized I developed strong opinions of my own. I actually disagreed with something they said in the uh, class. I still remember this. And I thought, oh, well. Um, and I pushed back with a few questions, but I didn't really, I don't, in my memory anyway, I didn't push back hard on it. But I thought, oh, not only do I already know all this, but I have some strong opinions on some of it. So, so it really was just kind of a sponge type thing. And then some of it, again, I just hadn't considered SEO. And so even today when we build a site, Often a client will call me and start talking about S- asking about SEO, um, which I'm happy to have clients invest additional for SEO. But then we'll start looking at their actual website and pulling up Google and looking at different things. And I'm like, no, you're ahead of you know, what is this saying? You don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than your friend. <laughs> and so I'll be like, no, you're already ahead of all your competitors on here. You, We can do more if you want, but you don't necessarily have to right now because of how we've already set you up. So I'm a little bit snobbish on the technical side. Sometimes I try to let that go. Uh, uh, to a certain degree, but also there's other times where I'm like, no, if it doesn't, you know, that's the advantage I bring is that I can look at something quickly, make a decision for our direction as a company, as far as what kind of tech stack we're going to use for our websites. And it's an advantage that kind of these, these, uh, WordPress kids, uh, that know how to build a WordPress site, which we use WordPress and so nothing gets that, but, uh, it's an advantage they don't have. And there's a place for them in the market hundred percent, but yeah, you, you mentioned being snobbish about the technology. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, so, and I, I do want to circle back to how we built on the other uh, services over the years also, but um, what do I mean by that, Chris? That's a good question. <laughs> now, what the, for example. I'll put a star next to that question. That was a good one. I will look. Okay. So WordPress um, has a concept called blocks that allows you to make a fancy layout. Years ago, that didn't exist. And so they started, there was this whole market and still is of things called a page builder, right? So a drag and drop interface. So at a certain point, it made business sense for us to switch to a page builder. And so even though, again, my technical knowledge, uh, I could, I mean, at the time I used to hand code uh, WordPress plugins and themes. Literally, there was one time we needed a plugin and I coded it over a lunch, I remember. So I had gotten pretty efficient, but I still thought this is not the most efficient option. Uh, I want to do this page builder thing. So I started looking into the page builders 
and it had to have a good user interface, right? One of the things I wanted to do was my designers be able to get in there and work on things. Uh, but also it had to have good code. So the actual underlying code that you can't see, uh, that had to be good and solid and not be convoluted. Uh, it had to have good reviews. It had to have uh, good staying power, have been around for a long time. And the code it generated, which, you know, you can, uh, if you're using Chrome, any website you pull up, you can right click, inspect element and look at the code, the HTML code, CSS code. Well, I look at that and it's, I mean, people think it's like the matrix, you know, where they're looking at the code and seeing the woman in the red dress, but I'm looking at it and I'm kind of judging the code based on it. Um, and it's a strength I bring. And then the rest of my team doesn't have to have that strength, at least not to the same degree I do. Uh, but it helps me look at it and say, I know the, all the technical things going on on this website from the ground up. Now, not every minutia, but I can get in there and find out if I need to. I know what they actually mean. And so it brings some advantage. I mean, literally yesterday I was talking to a fellow agency owner that we work with a lot and... I just said, or no, that was actually today. And we were looking at Google Analytics because they're making a transition. And I said, yeah, if you actually do structure your URLs this way, everybody structures their URLs like this, uh, which is as short as possible. So WordPress, you can pick how long your website address is when you write a blog or something. And everyone puts this structure around it that's as short as possible because they read somewhere and it's prevalent across all the information that shorter URLs are better for SEO. And that's, uh, that's a very simplified thing That's it's also like, uh, I was talking to you earlier, I think, but I don't think it, we were recording it, but tie, it's a tiebreaker, right? If you're neck and neck with someone else, yes, a shorter URL, if that's the only difference, then that's going to help break the tie. Okay. But in reality, putting like the year and month in the address means uh, it actually loads faster from the database that way. And Google cares about how fast your website loads. Uh, and it also means that you can go easily into like Google Analytics and search for all my blog articles from 2021. Like how many blog articles in 2022 did I write that are still ranking in 2023, for example? And so I can just punch in the year number and I can also say, well, I'm just going to punch in the year and month and see how that specific month's doing. So there's all sorts of things you can do. So there are advantages. So having that deep technical knowledge uh, often comes in helpful. There was some functionality we needed on a website a couple of weeks ago, and I spent 20 minutes, which is longer than I like to spend doing this stuff, but just writing custom code to uh, do, a, do a very simple breadcrumb thing. Again, someone else would just go find a plugin that had a million features and also had a breadcrumb feature. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to, I'd rather spend 20 minutes writing the code and keep this all clean on the back end, fast loading, all that stuff. So, well, you know, obviously with your technical knowledge has helped get you to this 20 year mark, which 20 years for any business is incredible. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, excited to see what the next 20 hold for you. <laughs> um, but you know, during that 20 year journey, can you maybe think of any big turning points specifically that you've had along the way? Yeah. So one of them was kind of the next stage in us adding all those um, services. Uh, so we struggled financially for years. I mean, we had our only recurring service for a long time was website hosting, right? Cause that's what we did for the first, I'm going to ballpark it and say about eight years. We added SEO. So that was a thing, but our SEO at the time was just all initial setup, which is all not, I mean, arguably all you needed back then. Um, definitely arguably, cause it's way more complicated than that, but you could get a lot of mileage, especially in the Oklahoma city Metro area on, if that's where my clients customers were, 
uh, on just doing kind of one-time setup and then done. So I was, our only recurring revenue is website hosting. And we didn't even have that for a long time. And, you know, 10, well, we'll say 15 years ago, I know we were at like $10, $20 a month, something like that for hosting. So not great. So not doing well financially. And I remember very specifically, I was at my doctor's office uh, getting a checkup and he'd been a client. We'd done a couple websites for him and I was asking for free blood pressure medication because I didn't have any money to pay for it. And so, uh, so he was getting me some samples and he thought, hey, I actually got, uh, and I won't say who he is, but uh, I got banned from Google AdWords, which it used to be called, uh, for uh, no good reason, but I want to sink all that money into social media. And I know you teach classes on social media, which I was doing. We were not offering services. In fact, I was looking for a strategic partner to refer the workout to. But uh, he said, I know you teach classes on social media. I want you to manage my social media. Well, I'd seen a lot of models that didn't work. Oh, and he said, the other important thing was, he said, I've got $1,000 a month to spend on this. I want you to manage my social media. And I was like, okay, well, I need $1,000 a month. Because at the time I had freaking like nine employees or something. I mean, some of them were part-time interns, but I paid, I've always paid my interns. So I paid everybody. Um, so I thought, well, yeah, I need, there was one, uh, there was one month, not long before that. I, you and I may have talked about this before, but where I remember I sold a half price mobile website and that was the only thing I had sold in a month. And you know, rent was still due and everybody wanted their paychecks. And so anyway, uh, yeah. people always wanted their paychecks. I know, I tell you. So picky. Um, so I said, give me two days. I've seen a lot of ways that I think social media shouldn't work. I haven't seen a way I'm okay with it working. So give me 48 hours and I'll get back with you. And then like literally the next week. And so I got back with him. And he said, yeah, let's move forward. And I think the next week I was, and I'll name drop here because I don't care. Uh, but Mike Crandall, right? I was meeting with Mike Crandall and it was, uh, he and I had met like a year before I had a salesperson on staff. They said Sandler is horrible. Later I figured out they had to literally have Googled what reason Sandler is horrible uh, to actually even find these results that they had brought me. So uh, as it turns out, it was just a salesperson that didn't want any accountability. All right. I fired him later. But uh, a year later, a year after that conversation, conversation with Mike, uh, with Crandall, I came back to him and said, Hey, let's talk again. I want to see if there's any way we can work together. And so I was actually conveying the story from the week earlier about how as a horrible salesperson and had literally tried to get some free meds off my doctor. And that's how I managed to sell this additional service I was doing. And, uh, for me, it was an example of how bad I was at sales. Well, Crandall stops me and says, okay, hang on. We're going to circle back to how bad you are at sales. Cause I agree, but I don't think he said that, but he said, but he said, let's, what are you doing for him? And so I launched into it and Crandall became my second client, uh, based on that conversation about, uh, for, for really ongoing content, right. Which for us started as social media. Crandall, he recalls this differently than I do, but because uh, he's still, you, you know this, but for the listeners, he's still a client and we've been strategic partners and clients of each other's for years now. Um, and so I can trace thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of, of my business uh, directly back to my relationship with him. Uh, but he says, he says he wanted social media. My recollection was he heard that and said, could you do that same thing for email marketing? Because he had an email, uh, an email account with, uh, uh, some random provider that their, their corporate office was recommending at the time. 
and he was just having trouble keeping up with it. And I said, sure. Oh yeah. If there's anything I can do at consistency, I was horrible at consistency at the time. But my idea was that's why people hire us is because we're consistent. So, so that got, that was a huge turning point, those two clients. And then I think I added one or two more. And then I said, I've got to lock this down for like at least six months. And all those people knew that they were, they our first content clients. And so we, we changed, uh, we, we experimented and figured out our process and ironed out all the kinks. I say all the kinks, not all the kinks, but uh, ironed out a bunch of the kinks in that first six months and then started taking on new clients. And it might've been a year. I think it was six months. So, well, I think there's some, there's, there's tons of great things in there, but I think one thing that caught my attention was you were looking for a partner that you could refer these people to. Yep. So you were not going to be doing this yourself. Right. And I think in talking to a lot of other business owners and looking how we've handled our business over the years, there's a lot of times where we get too set on what we're doing. Right. And while we do want to have our lane, a lot of times we forget to keep our eyes open for opportunity. Sure. And it sounds like while you may have been open to opportunity because you needed the revenue. Right. Revenue is always good if it's if it can be the appropriate revenue. And so I love the idea that you were able to say, instead of us trying to find someone to pass this along to, which could have been appropriate, but recognizing that that recurring revenue was the way that you were going to be able to, to grow that company. Yeah. Um, I just think that's a huge takeaway. Well, and it made a huge difference. And in fact, the second major inflection point was when we switched our websites to a recurring revenue model. And so that made a huge difference. Now we had, it's funny because uh, Leanne, my wife, who's in the business with me and our, uh, runs all the finances, uh, she and I sat down and we decided that we were going to do this. But also we said, this is basically going to put us in the red for, I don't remember what it was, but something like 18 months. I mean, it was le- I remember it was less than two years and more than one. Um, well, we were almost to the month we were correct, but we didn't even realize it till, you know, when it turns out when you run 18 months in the red, you don't realize you're in the black for a few months after that because <laughs> you're still trying to catch up. So, and I still don't know how we pulled that off running in the red for that long, but anyway, well, I do. We just went into some more debt. Uh, which that's a whole nother <laughs> story maybe we'll get into. But she, yeah, so we, that was the other major inflection point was when we switched websites. I mean, today, now listen, I say I would never start another business without a recurring revenue model. And it turns out I did. I've been saying that for the last few years. And then in 2020, I actually did start a business, a second business without a recurring revenue model. But uh, we're working on that. We may we may switch that over. Um, that was a passion project. But anyway, uh, it never a, I mean, if I were to ever sell my digital marketing company, which uh, my wife and I have different uh, points of view on the dollar figure that would take, um, I, it, I would have to start, it would have to be another recurring revenue business to be my main business for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you, you mentioned the, the, uh, the other business you started yep. in 2020, I assume it was because you were sitting at home bored during the <laughs> pandemic and you said, let's start something else. Uh, and you started the Edmund, is it the Edmund Business? Yep. It's called Edmund Business. Edmund Business, an online magazine. Yep. Uh, okay. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So and I want to know why okay. you started it. Okay. And then just a little bit about what it is. Okay. So there are things that are no secret. So I will share kind of the public uh, on some of it. That's not my story to share. I'll share the public side of things. So, so 
roughly, what would that have been? Maybe 15 years ago, uh, the law at the time, the longest, uh, locally, uh, or well, I don't know if it's locally owned, but commu- locally run community newspaper, um, in Edmond, uh, the Edmond Sun started the publisher at the time started this business magazine. And so Steve Patterson, great guy. In fact, he's one of, he was one of my phone calls when I was thinking about starting Edmund business. So he started that roughly 15 years ago. And then they went through a few different publishers and editors. And a few years after it started, I came on board as their marketing columnist. Um, Weirdly at the very beginning, they had a social media columnist and I did everything else. And then that person ended up dropping out of the magazine. And I, at some point I realized she hadn't, hadn't any columns. And I said, can I do social media now? And they said, yeah. So oh, great. Cause our company really <laughs> dove into that a few years ago. So I wrote for that magazine for a, almost a decade. Uh, and this will come into the story in a second. Crandall actually, he beat me. He just over a decade. He was a columnist like one year longer than me or something. But anyway, so Crandall and I both wrote for that magazine for uh, around a decade. And then in 2020, like many people, I heard, uh, in fact, apparently the, not dissimilar to how, what happened with the staff, but I heard that the parent company of the Edmund Sun had shut the Edmund Sun down. Now, it, uh, I have to be real careful because the Edmund Sun did not go out of business. That's not what happened. But the parent company decided to shut it down. Uh, there was some sort of fiasco, and I don't know all the details about everybody that had a subscription started getting the... Um, Norman transcript, Norman's newspaper and Sid, which for those of you that aren't familiar with the Oklahoma City Metro, the other side of the Metro, uh, Edmonds on the north side, uh, Norman's on the south side. There's a bit of a one-sided uh, rivalry there also. But anyway, so they shut down the newspaper. Well, the business magazine shut down too. Now, over the years, I had talked off and on with some people at the Edmondson about helping. It always bugged me as a columnist and as a digital marketer that there was no website for the magazine online. There was one of those kind of e-flip publications that's like a glorified PDF uh, that's essentially not... It took me years to figure out what was wrong with those and and communicate that. I knew I hated it. Well, what I finally figured out is those e-flip versions. The whole deal is they don't work like the rest of the internet. So everyone's used to how to surf a website and find articles and that sort of thing. And uh, those e-flip versions are, are, don't work like that. So, so it had been in my mind off and on about starting. There was also some different approaches talked to at one point. Uh, one of the publishers said, well, the parent company says no, but here's a workaround. And I was like, I don't feel good about that workaround. So I won't tell you who that publisher was at that time. But anyway, so, but I had thought about all these things. And so I hear, uh, it, it was probably like a Wednesday or a Thursday or something. I hear the Edmund Sun is shut down. I called some of my contacts in journalism and said, hey, what's the story here? What's going on? Um, and so, and, and the next week talked to, I think the editor as well. But I I think two days later, I turned to my wife, Leanne. Now, one of my wife's primary jobs is telling me, quit. You're not, don't pursue that idea. You need to finish this other idea you had. You've got entrepreneurial ADD, Tim. So her job is to like shoot down my great ideas, uh, which is a full-time job. 
Well, to my surprise, she says, no, no, that sounds like a good idea. I said, hey, what do you think about starting an online business magazine to kind of spiritually take the spiritual place of this other one? She's like, that's a good idea. I'm like, okay. So my next call was to Crandall because number one, uh, I've he's provided invaluable business advice over the years. He was intimate. Number two, was intimately familiar with the magazine. And number three, I needed him on board as a columnist. So... He says, yeah, it's a good idea. Here's a bunch of things to think about. So I then started on like a two week uh, long, just calling his mid. I mean, I think I took, I used to remember how many it was. I think I had like 50 something phone calls during that two weeks and Zoom calls. Um, and this was in the midst of COVID. So this was, this was, when was it? Um, I want to say it was May. I want to say it was early May. Uh, and so I made all these phone calls. I got the stories together. Just tons of contributors. That led to a problem later, by the way. Just tons of people coming out of the woodwork, contributing, excited about the idea. And so we launched on... Which is great. I mean, when, you, when you're trying to do something new right. and you have a ton of people rallying behind you, that's a good it encouragement. Helps. Yes, it helps. And it was a huge encouragement. They didn't all disappear later, but it became more, <laughs> it, it gave me an unrealistic expectation of how easy it was going to be to get content on an ongoing basis. Um, we launched on June 1st, 2020. And so we've been going, what is that, two and a half years now? Two and a half years now. And there were definitely struggle. I mean, I, uh, my CPA said, Tim, you know, this has to be a separate business. You can't run it under your marketing business. Well, there's a fairly well-known company uh, in the Edmond area that does uh, owns a marketing company. And I believe under the same company runs a magazine. And so I thought that was fine. I just assumed that's how I would do it too. And my CPA told me, no, don't do it like that. So I had to start another company, had to pay. And it was weird how he told me that. And then I had to pay him to set up the new company. I'm just kidding. I trust this guy. Um, but so I immediately went out and did sales. There's and a lot of wisdom we, there. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was good of him to do that. So I did did a bunch of sales to get them enough money to pay him super quickly. So I was selling people blind, people that I knew, but I was there was one or two that I didn't know nearly as well, but selling people blind on advertising in this magazine. And I had a few strongly held beliefs and uh, like I, I never wanted to charge for content. Um, I didn't want to have 5 million ads. You know the experience. You go on a local news right. provider. I, they shall remain nameless. They go on their website to read their articles uh, and there's just 5 million ads. And so I didn't want that. I wanted to be super clean. Uh, and of course I ended up building the website and everything. So we built the website, gathered the stories, all that initial stuff, uh, decided things I felt strongly about, had 50 conversations and launched in three weeks. Okay. Now those design choices to keep it minimal and clean yep. Yep. because you wanted, because of your dislike of other news websites, Yes. Did that come back to bite you when you were trying to sell advertising and you had designed limited space? No. Okay, good. No. Yeah. No, that was, and my whole, I mean, the whole reason I started it was for me first, right? As a reader, I wanted to publish the kinds of articles I wanted to read. Now we do still, we do now publish articles that I have come to accept the general public or business community wants to read that don't necessarily all interest me. Um, I, well, I should say, I find them all interesting, but they wouldn't have been my go-to on somebody else's website to read, if that makes sense. But, it, but I'm almost always our first target market is, is Tim going to like this? And if the answer is yes, <laughs> then it's, and it's related to business and it's related to the Edmond area, then it's probably going to go in the magazine. So. Awesome. Yeah. I, I love that. Uh, I love that uh, demographic you put together there. Um, I'm curious if you can think about 
your clients you've had over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to hear maybe a particular story, whether or not you want to share the client's name or not, but um, maybe one that stands out as kind of a major win for you who uh, maybe you took from either low rankings and you saw just an incredible amount of business come their way through uh, your changes you made, but maybe just a, a cool win story of one of your clients. So I will brag on our work with Crandall, Mike Crandall, the aforementioned. Uh, yeah, Mike Crandall, I don't know if you said he is with, he's the principal of Sandler here in Oklahoma City. Yes, Sandler Custom Growth Solutions here in Oklahoma City. Sandler is a worldwide company and he runs the local office. Uh, is very well known, has a lot of prestige uh, worldwide in the in both within the organization and, and with his clients. But um, part of that due to our work for him, If I do say so. So um, we so when I started working with Mike, again, I look at the things I did early on with him and I'm like, how how in the world did that work? I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I knew what I was doing, just didn't know as much as I know now. So at a certain point, about uh, three to five years in. He was getting, and I may butcher some of the details, but he was getting phone calls from some of the offices up in Canada that were pissed off. And so he, he, so he, so he comes to me and tells me, he's like, Hey, some of these offices are pissed off. And I'm like, well, why are they pissed off? And he said, well, when somebody up in Canada searches for us, for a Sandler office, we're coming up before the Canada offices. I said, Oh, okay. And so it had all been, you know, content SEO work we had done over the years that other at the time, other offices were not doing. Um, and in fact, at the time their corporate office wasn't really doing either. Um, now, I think I've had some influence on what the corporate office does now. They do a lot of content now, a significant amount of content, um, so much that I'll get new clients that are, a lot of our clients are Sandler offices elsewhere in the country or world, and I'll get them on. And I just don't have to do the things I did for Crandall 10 years ago because home office is putting out, they call it home office, but it's putting out so much content. But yeah, that's a huge success story and really just a small part of it. Um, We've done a lot of stuff with Crandall. Um, we, he, he's really good. And we have several clients that are like this, that are really good about being Guinea pigs. And so, and, uh, in general, they understand the risk of being Guinea pigs. But in fact, one, one interesting story that was both, has both been a success and uh, as a good demonstration about the downfalls of being a Guinea pig. So, uh, I, I came to Mike one time and said, Hey, I think we should try doing some giveaways. I think it could build your eat, help build your email list up, which it did, but it had a side benefit. I'll get into in a second. That's by far the primary benefit for him and everyone else for doing it for. But I said, I think we could build, you know, build up your, uh, mailing list by getting some email addresses and through these giveaways. And of course they'll be targeted, you know, there'll be giveaways. We're not giving away thousand dollar you know, cheesecake factory gift cards, uh, but giving away things that appeal to your ideal prospect, your ideal client. So we run the first giveaway and, um, and we, so we've done that for years, actually, I'll circle back around to the first giveaway. So we've done that for years now. And as it turns out, the list of people entering the giveaway, if approached correctly, can be an amazing list of people to prospect to. Sure. Again, you have to approach it uh, the right way. But so that's what Crandall and his team do is they use that list and we do a giveaway every single month for them. Uh, and we've been doing that for six, seven years now. Well, I think that's ex- expected nowadays <clears throat> that when people are entering these contests, they re- yeah. they realize now that uh, they're going to have that marketing list and, um, you know, whether or not they unsubscribe on day one or not is. Right. But um, I- I'm curious, one, um, I want to just point out that <clears throat> Having 
clients that you can test with yep. are critical. Yes. Um, and so I love the fact you were able to identify a few of those. Um, if that's not something you're doing in your business, I encourage you to do so. Find Absolutely. your top clients. And uh, obviously you want to mitigate any negative effects of the testing. Um, but that's a great resource to have within your own organization, people that you can talk to and experiment with. Yeah. But second to that, when you started these giveaways five, six years ago, was it expected that that list was going to be used for marketing after the fact? Or was this a, just something you kind of thought would be a fun thing to test? Um, I, I don't know what Crandall thought. I thought this is just building your email list. So I'm not sure how long it took him. So you say marketing. So I think the assumption was we would market to them afterwards. I don't know that the assumption was we would, that, that Mike and his team would use that as a prospecting list. Um, but I also know. So, so stop there for a second. Yeah. What do you see as a difference between marketing a prospecting sales. list and a marketing list? Okay. So marketing list is... And it's funny because we're a HubSpot partner now. And so I've come to this kind of definition somewhat through how they're set up. Okay. Uh, but it's not, I don't think it's wrong. And it's a, it's a good, I don't, well, there are cases it's wrong. So that's not true either. Um, but uh, I think in general, marketing is one to many conversations. So meaning one organization or person or whatever, uh, getting a message out there to as many people as they can, whereas sales is a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And again, that's not to say there can't be like team selling where there's more than one salesperson. It's not to say there can't be um, team buying. You know, I'm sure you've hit that where you walk into an organization and there's multiple people sitting down in the room for your meeting and you're like, oh, this is a surprise. So there, I, that's kind of the, at least somewhat of the differentiation I make now between marketing and sales. So certainly they were added to our email list, right? Where we were sending them out our ongoing newsletter at the time. I don't think we did much else then, uh, but where we were sending them out Crandall's online uh, or his newsletter on a regular basis. But then also they were getting those one-on-one -on -one touches, some of them anyway, uh, of phone calls and emails from Mike and his team. So I'd be curious, I mean, there's no way... <clears throat> No way to go back and ask, but I'd be curious if those who were entering in the giveaway or who are now, if on what that end, if they, if they expect it, because I, for me personally, if I, if I, when I sign up for something, I know that I'm going to get emails from right. them and I fully expect that I'm going to get voicemails for them because I don't even take their calls. Um, <laughs> but I fully expect they're going to reach out in, in a couple of different ways. So um, yeah, that's good. Though. I, I like the, the idea of thinking through expectations and quickly identifying benefits that maybe you didn't expect. So, so okay. that's, that's important. And downfalls. So this is the story I was going to share earlier. Downfalls you didn't anticipate, right? Because that's inherent with someone saying, yes, I'll be a guinea pig. So that first giveaway, our email blast that we sent out to his already existing list was worded in such a way that several people who did not have a high attention to detail, which is how I'm wired naturally to, read the email, hit reply and said, thanks. I'd love, it was for a workshop or something. So they said, thanks, Mike, looking forward to it. I'd, uh, thanks for inviting me. They all thought they had gotten the free seat in the workshop and no, no, he was giving away a one seat in the workshop. And so we worked on the wording then, but there's been, uh, Mike's been great. There's been 
we've probably done dozens of guinea pig type stuff with him and maybe half a dozen have had an incident like that. So, um, I still to this day don't know exactly what he did. I know what I would have done, but I don't, he's not wired the same way as me. So I don't think he, I would have just given everybody a seat and called it a loss that time and fixed it next (laughs) time. Uh, he's not wired the same way as me. So he may have nicely told them, uh, enter to win, please. Uh, but I don't know. So, (laughs) well, let me, so we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of our time today. Uh, we always ask this question at the end. So uh, what's the one piece of technology you can't live without? The one, oh man, we're so technology based at our organization. Um, I could not do, I mean, the simple answers are our laptops. Yeah, I couldn't do it without our, without our laptops for sure. Okay. Easy one. Yep. Yep. Um, so one, take a second. And if anyone wants to connect with you, if they want to learn more about the services TNS offers, how can they connect or reach out to you? Yep. So they can go to our website at tandsgo.com. That's T-A-N-D-S-G-O.com. Stands for Tim and Sons. Um, so they can visit us there. And then all our social links are on there. Our newsletter signups on there as well. And we've got a blog with just tons of digital marketing information, if that's something they're into. Awesome. Well, Tim... Thanks for being here. We've done it for a long time. This is not as terrible as I expected. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Happy to help. 